Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Tonight, I want to finish up something that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks on Wednesday, 10 Conditions of Answered Prayer, Part 3. I told y'all, I didn't come up with this. If you don't have one, go ahead and make the investment. Buy a Dake Annotated Reference Bible, one of the best investments you'll ever make. This is actually Finnis Dake's notes uh, in the back under prayer, he, he listed this 10 conditions of answered prayer. And I've been teaching faith for a few years and different principles the Lord showed me. And when I read these notes, I'd never read them before. It blessed me so much because I was like, wow, Lord, this is kind of in every, all of it really encapsulated in very simple points here. How to use your faith. Conditions of answered prayer. Y'all, and I want to say this, you guys that are tuning on right now, thank you so much. I love you. If you guys will help me, I know we say it all the time, but share this broadcast. The reason why, I got an email today uh, from Facebook that said that our account may be um, deactivated, deleted by Facebook because we violated their community guidelines. (laughs) I said, what? What guidelines did we violate? You know, I've never got a message like that, but Sunday I preached a message and I talked about the soon return of Jesus Christ. I mentioned points, how how do we know that his return is very soon? And I talked about the fig tree blossom with Israel, and then I talked about the Antichrist society. If you were here, you remember that. And then we get a message from Facebook saying we violated some of their community guidelines and they may take our account down, our church Facebook down. So, oh, well, take it down. Hallelujah. We don't need it anyways. Praise God. Yeah, just go to Rumble. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard, I've heard that. Maybe we need to get on there. Conditions of answered prayer. So, you know, I never knew anything like this. All I knew is the real generic religious, our Father who art in heaven, type prayers, Lord, if it be your will, type prayers. And I I grew up my whole life never seeing anything manifest, never seeing one miracle, never seeing anyone get healed, and and really struggled a lot in life. And and I love this because these are ten conditions of answered prayers. And it basically, here's here's the point. Anyone who meets these these ten conditions will always have what they say. Anyone who meets these 10 conditions will always have what they say. Hallelujah. So number one, I'm going to give you a quick summary. I'm not going to preach any of these points. You need to go back and watch the last two Wednesdays. We have all of that on podcast. I don't know if you knew this, but go to the website, click the listen button. We update a podcast every week that that you can just play on your phone. We have everything available. Go and check that out. We have it on YouTube, Facebook, podcast. Go listen to the last two weeks because I believe it will really bless you. But the first six conditions that we talked about, number one, have the faith of God. Say of God. It doesn't say have faith in God, Mark 11, 22. It says have the faith of God. Well, what does that mean? It means you have to operate like God. 
Amen. How does God operate? Romans 4, 17. He's the God that raises the dead, that brings the death back to life, and it says he calls those things that be not as though they were. He calls them forth. He calls the things that don't exist into existence, another translation says. So Jesus actually taught the first key to having what you say is you have to operate like God. Say, call it forth. A lot of Christians never learn this very simple principle. They pray, Lord, will you do this? And Lord, will you do that? And Jesus said, no, you speak to the mountain and command it to move. We're spending so much time on praying and fasting and begging God to move the mountain. And the whole time Jesus said, you speak to it. It's not moving until you speak to it. Christians never call it forth. Christians never speak to it. So guess what? It never moves. Amen. Y'all, we can't take this book and do what we think, you know, well, I, I'm kind of going to do a little bit of it and, and not do some of it. No. If God said it, we need to get it down to the dot. What he said, how he said to do it, because that's how it works. Right? Number two, Jesus said, if you want to have what you say, you have to pray. Funny, right? You have to pray. <laughs> what do you mean by pray? Finistake made a note, which he said, pray, in other words, say in no uncertain terms what you want. If you want something, guess what? You have to say in no uncertain terms what you want. You got to identify what you want. You got to be specific. Amen. Be specific. Call it forth. Figure out what it is that you want. Qualify what you want with the word of God. Then call it forth. Number three, have unlimited faith. Have unlimited faith. So much I could say about that. Again, go back and listen to the, the other podcast because I got plenty to preach tonight. Number four, refuse to doubt in your heart. Say refuse to doubt. Y'all, I'm telling you, as Christians, we've got to wage war against doubt. Y'all, I'm telling you, honestly, I may be one of the worst pastors in, in planet uh, in history, on planet Earth. I may be one of the worst pastors. Not one of the worst ministers, one of the worst pastors. I have people... Uh, brother, if you're watching, I love you. I'm not picking on you, but it's true. I have people that message me stuff. I had someone message me the other day, and they started going on about, man, I just had the worst day. And I just stopped them, and I said, listen, if it's not faith, I don't want to hear it. Simply, if, if you're going to come and complain to me, oh, I'm just a struggling, I, they, I can sit here and pat you on the butt and give you a kiss on the forehead, and you'll stay struggling your whole life. The reality is that's not going to help anybody, is it? You have to refuse to doubt. Stop speaking doubt. Stop speaking unbelief. Get it out of your mind. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of your mouth. Amen. Number five, believe whatever is asked will be given. Why can we believe that whatever we ask will be given? Jesus said in John 14, John 15, and John 16, a summary, use my name. If you use my name, he said, you'll go to the Father directly using my name, and he'll give you whatever you ask for because you use my name. Jesus Christ, that name is given as the name above every name in which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every demon has to flee, every sickness has to die, every mountain has to move, depression has to leave, whatsoever, anything, all things and everything have to comply with the name of Jesus because it is the key of David that the scripture talks about. Where Jesus said, you'll bind on earth whatever you 
on earth, I'll bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. When you use my name, whatever you say will be given. Hallelujah. Refuse to doubt in your heart. Believe whatever is asked will be given. Number six, believe whatever is asked is already granted. It's important. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 You've heard it mentioned many times, but the Bible says all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus with a resounding yes and amen. Say have been. Have been. Say have been. That means healing. Healing's not something you're looking forward to one day. It's already been fulfilled. By his stripes we were healed. Amen. That's one example. Ephesians 1, 3 says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. That means anything and everything that God has to offer, he's not going to give it to us. He's already given it to us in Christ. And what Paul tried to get across to the New Testament Christians in Ephesians One, he said, I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power at work in those that believe. What Paul was saying is, I pray you get a revelation of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Not what you're hoping he does and wishing he does and maybe one day he'll do it. No, he already did it. Amen. So, number seven, let's get into this today. Number seven. Ten conditions of answered prayer. If you'll do this, you'll have what you say. Number seven, be authoritative and command to come to pass whatever is desired. Be authoritative. Say authoritative. You got to know your authority as a believer. Telling you, so many Christians walk around defeated, beat down, broke down, chewed up, spit out by the devil because they don't know their authority given to them. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, behold, I've given you all authority over the Uh, All power, all authority over the power of the devil. I'm sorry. All authority over the power of the devil. All the power. Say all authority. According to the scripture, is there one thing the devil can do that usurps the authority that you have? Is there one thing the devil should be able to do without our permission according to the scripture? No. But is that how most Christians live? No. Is that how most Christians talk? No. Is that how most Christians think? No, absolutely not. They run around chasing the devil like a Christian ghostbuster, think that they're getting beat up and spit up by by this demon over here and that demon over there. You have authority over the devil. Amen. That means that if you can identify something the devil's doing and you don't like it, you can tell him to stop in the name of Jesus and be authoritative and he must stop. Right? He has to stop. Y'all, so many Christians put up with depression. You don't have to put up with depression. Do you know that? But you know what most Christians do? They, run, they sit around, oh, I'm just depressed. I just don't feel good. I just don't feel like praising God today. I just don't feel like going to church. I just don't really feel happy. Really? Why don't you stop complaining about how you feel? Why don't you be authoritative and tell your flesh to comply and tell the devil, tell that spirit, be gone in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You have authority in every situation. If, you, if there's no joy in a situation, you know what you can do? I lose joy in the name of Jesus. Wow, there's no joy in your household? 
Instead of sitting there wishing and, pr- and hoping that one, maybe one day if this happens and that happens, then there'll be peace and joy in your household, why don't you use your words and actually say, I loose the joy of the Holy Ghost in this house. I loose the peace of God in this house. I bind up the spirit of depression. I reject the spirit of fear. Be authoritative. Remember, as far as God is concerned, it's already done. This falls under point number six. It's already done. Amen. I'm telling y'all, so many believers, for example, healing, they never walk in the promises of God in regards to healing because they're, they're in hope, they're not in faith. Hope looks forward to the future. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is now. Say, faith is now. If it's not now, it's not faith. If we're waiting on God, that's not even faith, that's hope. And if we're in hope and we're not in faith, we'll never possess the promises of God because the promises of God, according to Hebrews 11, aren't possessed by hope. They're possessed by faith. By faith. The woman with the issue of blood. When she touched the hem of his garment, she didn't think to herself, maybe if I touch the hem of his garment, maybe sometime a week or a month or a year from now, God will look down from heaven and decide to heal me. No, she thought to herself, I know that I can be healed that moment, that second, today, right now, if I just touch the hem of his garment. And she was healed. Virtue went out from Jesus. And he said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Hallelujah. Y'all, I'm telling you, the worst thing that we can do And people write books and have false little prophetic ministries. The Lord, man, I was listening to this woman preach on YouTube. God bless her. I think she had the purest intentions. But she just preached what every Christian wants to hear. How many of y'all know God's keeping you in a season of obscurity? God's keeping you in the desert right now because he's preparing you for your promised land. That's a bunch of bull crap. God's not keeping anybody in a desert. The promised land isn't something we're hoping for. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Did you know the name Jesus, Yeshua, is where we get the name Joshua? Joshua was the one that led the people into the promise. We're not in Moses' day. We came underneath Joshua. We already have access to the promised land. And as long as you think that God's keeping you in a season of obscurity, you're going to stay in a season of obscurity, and the devil's going to keep you wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, for 80 years, and you'll die there because you're, oh, one day the Lord's just preparing me for my calling. No, reach out, possess it, grab Grab a hold of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord, the Lord told me this morning, he said, anytime you hear someone like that, you just reject that kind of crap. Get it out of your mind. Don't even think about it. Hallelujah. That's what every Christian wants to hear. Well, God's getting ready to do this, and he's getting, you know, And the truth of the matter is, we talk about things like the revival that's been prophesied over the nation, the outpouring of the Spirit of God. You know that that's not something we're waiting on God to do. The Lord showed me this many times. He said, I'm not going to, like, pour out my Spirit. He said, it may look like that. It may look like an awakening. It may look like a revival, but what it's actually going to be is a revelation of what I've already done. Amen. 
the church will walk in the end time outpouring when they get a revelation of Acts chapter 2, not when we're sitting here waiting for Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 already happened. Hallelujah. He already opened up heaven where now we can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive anything and everything from the Lord. How do we have an open heaven and open access to the presence of God where we can see and reflect the glory of God that's seen in the face of Jesus Christ and we think that there's just some special thing? No, 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 no. Every single time that revival happened in history, it wasn't just because God decided to do something special. It always came as a result of a man or woman getting a revelation of what the word already says and putting it to work and preaching it and teaching it and it getting in the heart of people. And then now you got a hundred and a thousand and ten thousand people that got this revelation or putting it into action with their faith. And what is it? It's a manifest glory presence of God. So... Remember, as far as God's concerned, it's already done. Your provision, it's already there. You're not waiting on it. It's there. You just got to tap into it by faith. Sitting in an account. Every dollar, listen, every dollar you'll ever need in your entire life is already there. It's already there. We've got to transact it. How do we do that? By faith. How do we do that with our faith? Through confession. Calling things that be not as though they were. That's how you use your faith. The Bible says... Paul said, I have the faith of the psalmist. I believe, therefore I spoke. Faith, speaking is how you use your faith. Amen. Y'all, set a reminder for me, Tonio. Let's reprogram this uh, thermostat. We got our Wi-Fi changed over, and I don't know about y'all, but it is hot in this room. When we receive miracles, it's not because God granted it. It's because our faith possessed what he already accomplished. I'll say that again. When we receive miracles, it's not because God granted it. It's because our faith possessed what he already accomplished. Amen. When someone gets healed, it's not because God just said, oh, I think I'm going to heal that person. No, it's because by faith we possess the promise that was there. If we would stop begging and start developing our faith, we would possess. So here's the question. What do you do when life isn't looking like what God says, when your life isn't looking like what the Bible promises for the believer? What do you do? You be authoritative and you command to come to pass what is asked or desired. Amen. What do you do when you get symptoms? What do you do when you feel like the devil starts saying you're in a season of obscurity? You got to go through the valleys to get to the mountaintops, brother. You hear stuff like that. No, what do you do? You be authoritative and command to those things to come to pass what is desired. I want you to write this down tonight. You have to force the physical world to comply with the word of God. You have to force the physical world to comply with the word of God. Where do we get that from? Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God made man, and the first thing he ever said to man was God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. He told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the Lord made the earth. He put man on the earth, and then he told the man, subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth. What do those words mean? The word subdue means to subject, to force, say to force, to keep under, to bring into bondage, to make subservient, to dominate. So what did God tell Adam? He made the man, he put the man on the earth, and he said, I want you to force the earth to come into your compliance. I want you to make the earth subservient to you. Keep it under you, bring it into bondage. You know, Adam should have never let that snake in the garden to begin with. That wasn't a failure or some master plan in God's sovereignty. That was a failure on Adam's part to do exactly what God said to do, to force it into compliance, to make it subservient, to bring it into bondage, bondage and to dominate. To, he said, subdue the earth, have dominion. The word dominion means to rule in the Hebrew, to have dominion, to dominate, to tread down. So why would God say you have to force it to comply with you, Adam? Why did he say that? Because obviously there would be times when the world doesn't want to comply naturally. Right? We call that a test of faith. The Bible says that you should actually rejoice when you're tested because it's a chance for your endurance to grow. And when your endurance grows, a paraphrase here, the Bible says that we'll come out being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen. There will be times that the world doesn't want to comply naturally. So naturally. So what do you do? What do you do when, when, you're, when you're, you're believing the word of God and your life, things in life don't seem to want to line up? It's like you feel like, you know, you're trying to push a train up a, up a, uphill. What do you do? Do you put up with it? What do you do when your flesh is giving you symptoms? When the devil, when a, a spirit of infirmity is trying to come on you, what do you do? Do you put up with it? What do you do whenever it starts to seem like the oil's running dry or the finances are running dry, your account's running low, something seems to be shut up and shut out in your life? What do you do? Do you put up with it? No, say no. No, he said subdue the earth, have dominion. Use your authority of your words and command what is desired to come to pass. Amen. Wage war against the devil. Wage war against the flesh and never comply. Man, I think that that was the root of the devil. The, the, the devil tried to get compliance with false little wimpy, watery, whiny doctrines in the church. Well, well that's just part of life sometimes. Amen. You know, you're going to have to go through these things. That's just part of life. You're going to have to go through sickness and disease. You're going to have to go through kill, uh, the, where the enemy's going to come to kill, steal, and destroy. There's just nothing you can do about it. That's just part of life. And we got that in the church, and what did we teach the church? Comply, 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 comply. Anytime that you're pressed, you comply. Anytime that you're, that you're opposed, you comply. And what happened in 2020? The church complied. 
take hold of the promises of God and force the world to comply. Matthew eleven twelve, and it says, In the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Man, I prophesy that over America, that a generation of Christians rising up that aren't praying for some God to do some kind of sovereign thing. No, they're taking it by force. Man, thank you, Jesus, for some Christians in this house that take the lost by force, that take the kingdom of hell by force. We're not waiting on you to do it. No, we're going out and possessing the land that you've given to us, taking territory, taking ground. We are revival. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not waiting on revival. We are revival. We carry revival. If your foot Steps foot in a place. Revivals just step foot in that place. Hallelujah. Because the spirit of the Lord and the anointing of Jesus Christ is on you. Dake's note for this verse is to use force. So the violent take it by force. Finnis Dake made this note. Use force to force one's way into a thing. The idea here is that before John the Baptist, the kingdom could only be viewed in light of prophecy, right? Throughout the entire Old Covenant, it was just prophecy. It was, it was something they were looking forward to. When Jeremiah preached, they couldn't enter in. It was something that they were looking forward to. When Isaiah preached, they couldn't really enter in. It was always something they were looking forward to. But guess what happened when Jesus stepped on the scene? It changed from being something that they were looking forward to to now the door's been swung wide open. Come on in and take it. And that's what he says here. But now that was, was preached where men were pressing into it with a door resembling violence and desperation. They appeared as if they would seize it by force. It expresses the earnestness that men must have in getting rid of sin, all satanic powers, the world, and in, true, uh, and in standing true when relatives oppose them. Wow, that's pretty interesting, Finnis Dake. The door is open. Possess it. Hallelujah. Man, I'm telling you, I'm not going to preach on it, but I'll never forget the, Lord, the day the Lord shook me in my spirit with that revelation from the parable of the three servants that were given different portions of talents. And the master gave them the talents, and he went away, and the, talents had, the, the servants had the ability to multiply the talents as much or as little as they wanted. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, John, you can go as far and as fast as you want to go. What your life accomplishes is not dependent on some sovereign will that I have that I put a ceiling over your head. No, it's going to depend on what you do. You can grab a hold of this and put it to work as much as you want to put it to work. You can multiply the talent five times over, ten times over, a hundred times over, a thousand times over, a million times over. And it's not dependent upon how high I'll let you go. It's dependent upon if you'll take it, a hold of it, by faith, and put it to work, the door is open. Hallelujah. So he said, you have 
to force the physical world to comply with the word of God. We said that. Number eight. Here's the number eight under ten conditions of answered prayer. Number eight, believe what you want is God's will. Y'all, I'm about to slaughter some sacred cows in the room. I'm about to pull out a gun and shoot those religious sacred cows in the head. You've got to get your thinking higher. Mark eleven twenty four. You know, I'll turn there in the NLT and read it to you. Your mind needs to open up to the will of God. You need to stop putting the will of God in such a small, religious, little slave box that you never see anything from the Lord. The Bible says in Mark 11, 22 through 24, he says, sorry, turn to Matthew, Mark 11. Have faith, have the faith of God, have faith in God. We've talked about that. He said, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. It will happen. Amen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt. How much doubt? No doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. Say anything. I tell you, Jesus said, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Say anything. I'm telling you, you need to let your faith grab a hold of that word, anything. Believe that what you want is God's will. Well, let me ask you a question. So many people, they never believe God for anything because they don't really believe God wants them to have anything. I'll ask you this question. Is what you're believing for, what you want, is it something? Then you can have it. Because he said anything, that Greek word anything, it means, it's the Greek word pos, it means all things, everything, anything. All things, everything, anything. Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to use your faith and you can use it to possess anything. I ask you this other question, does it bring God glory when we're beat down and broke down? No, that doesn't bring God glory. I'll tell you what brings God glory, Brother Jack. What brings God glory is whenever God opens up an opportunity for you to get a better job and then your current job calls you and, and offers you a better opportunity than what the better opportunity was offering you. That's what brings God glory. The Bible says that the, the nations of the earth will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they'll stand in awe. Jesus said in John 15, ask me for anything you want. Why don't we just read it? John 15. Let's just settle this. The devil likes to tell you, oh, if you're poor, you, you look really righteous and holy and you're more spiritual. If you're sick, if you're poor, if you're, you know, you just got the thorn in your side. So, um... It says in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask me for anything. There's that word anything. You can ask me for what? You can ask me for religious things. You can ask me for, you know, everybody uses the word, if it's according to his will. And you know what? In their mind, God's will consists of like one or two things. If it ain't those one or two little things, which is just more of his presence, 
God, we just want more of your presence. Why don't you use your faith and enter into the throne room and you can have all that you want? Hallelujah. Father, that's all that I want is more of your presence. And it sounds real spiritual, but it's not a biblical thought. It's not, it's not the biblical way. Jesus didn't say, you can ask me for the religious little things that are in your box. He said, no, you may ask for anything that who wants? You want. That you want. Anything you want. Again, anything that you want. And it will be granted well, doesn't that, isn't that going to just like really cause people to stumble and fall into sin? No, Jesus said, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. When you're more blessed, it doesn't take away from God's glory. It adds to God's glory. Hallelujah. Say anything. Matthew 21, 21 through 22, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You could even say to this mountain, may you be lifted and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Oh, okay, the Lord will, you know, maybe the Lord will meet my bare necessities. Did anybody, the song just pop into anybody's head? Look for the bare necessities. Yeah. Maybe he'll give me an apartment with a hole in the ceiling and a rat crawling on the ground. Is that, but that's what people think about God. But in Psalms 37, 3 through 4, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, and you will live safely in the land and prosper. Say prosper. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Hallelujah. People say, oh, I believe God. He'll give me that house. And, Lord, if you give me that house, right, we're trying to plead with God. If you give me that house, I promise you, Lord, I'll take in 300 orphans into that house. And I'll take in those 300 orphans and I'll have them spin yarn for the dolphins at the, at the reserve dolphin club. And, you know, we think stuff like that. But then you realize, no, how about this reality? Ready? We're going to kill the sacred cow. No, how about God wants to give you the house because you desire it in your heart. And if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. I want to look at God's willingness. Look at Matthew 7, 9 through 11. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Dang, Jesus was spitting bars right there. If your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Hallelujah. God's our Father. He's not just our Master. He gave us the Holy Spirit. It's not that we can cry out like slaves in the field. As orphans, as the slaves in the shackles, no, the spirit of sonship where now we cry out, Abba, Father. I heard Jesse Duplantis say, we're not God's adults, we're God's children. You want to bless your children? You want your children to eat well? You want your children to have a nice house? 
right? Anybody ever seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? The newer one, not the old one. The kid's living up in the upstairs, and he's got a giant hole in the roof, and it's like snowing, and he's just sitting out there, you know, looking up into the sky. Is that what you want for your children? Then how do you think in the world that that's what God wants for you? That's just a horrible slave mentality. Anything that you could ever desire for your children, you can just multiply it a million times over. That's God's heart. That's God's willingness to bless his children. Romans 8.32 says, since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? God did not withhold the most precious Creation in all the universe, which is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is with God in the beginning. He was the Word that was with God. The earth was created through Him. The book of Proverbs talks about everything was created through Christ and for Christ. He was the most precious thing that God had to offer. I also want you to think of this John 3 16. For God loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. You know, that's very important if you understand the Hebrew culture. In the Hebrew culture, if you didn't have a son, you had nothing. You were low class. You had no inheritance. You had no heir. You had nothing. If you did, that's why you read throughout the Old Covenant, these guys could have like 15 daughters, and they're still begging God for a son. Oh, Lord, please give me a son. Why am I so dishonored, Lord? Because if you didn't have a son, you didn't have nothing. Right? These Jews understood this. So think about that context. God so loved you, he gave not one of his many sons, his one and only son. Basically what that means is the most valuable thing that God had to give, he, he gave it for you. He gave it to you. He gave it for you. And if he is willing to spare, not even spare his own son, won't he also give us everything else? So I'm going to tell you tonight, get those religious, demonic thoughts out of your head. Number nine. Let's keep moving. Number nine. Ten conditions for answered prayer. Number nine. Never say, if it be your will, concerning anything that you ask that is definitely promised by God and his word. If it's promised in God's word, don't you ever dare say, if it be your will, Lord. Never say, if it be your will, concerning anything you ask that is definitely promised by God and his word. You know that you can know the will of God? Why? Because the will of God is the word of God. Hallelujah. So Dake says, concerning anything that is definitely promised by God in his word. So I guess we need to make a list of what's definitely promised, right? And once we can kind of solidify what's definitely promised, I don't care what you've experienced, because right? we all experience things. People experience, and they build their life on their experience and not the word. But is that what Jesus said? The man that builds his life on his experience is like a man that builds on solid bedrock. Is that what he said? No, he said a man that builds his life on the word, on my words, is like a wise man who builds his house on bedrock. His word. So if we just threw experience, well, if that's true, then how come this happened one time? How come this happened to this person 
that I know? How come this happened to my granny? How come this happened to my uncle? What if we just threw all of that out and we just took it from a position? Does the Bible promise it? Does the Bible guarantee it? What does the Bible say about it? I'll tell you the two things I love to preach on so much is healing and prosperity because the devil relentlessly attacks those two things. So I'm going to relentlessly preach faith on those two things. Does the Bible definitely promise healing? Yes, it does. Isaiah 53, 5, for example. Let's turn there and read that. We can solidify. Oh, I'm so smart, y'all. I started labeling my sermon pages. So just in case something like that happens, I wouldn't get mixed up. Thank you. Isaiah 53. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. Who's he? Jesus. Did you know Jesus carried your weakness? So guess what? You don't have to be weak. You can be strong. That means don't accept weakness. Be strong and courageous, declares the Lord in Joshua chapter 1. Jesus put your we- or God put your weakness on Jesus. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Did you know Jesus carried your sorrows? You know that the, the Bible says, well, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. We sing songs like that, right? And what do we do? We, well, we're always in that night of pain. We're always in that season of obscurity. No, we rejoice in the Lord always. Why do we rejoice? Because all of the promises of God have been fulfilled. There's joy today because the light has come, the light of the world in which the darkness can never extinguish it. We have joy. He put our sorrows on Jesus. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God and a punishment from his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellions. Jesus was hung on a cross for our transgressions. My sin, your sin, the penalty of of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Nobody's got a problem with that. The Baptists don't argue about that. Well, I believe Jesus paid the price for my sin. No problem. Amen, he did. But then the verse continues. Does it end there? No, it actually says not only was he pierced for your transgressions or for your rebellions, crushed for your sins, saved my sins. Not only did he carry my sins, he was also beaten so that we could be whole and whipped so we could be healed. So the Bible clearly teaches that God put our unrighteousness and our sins on Jesus Christ, and he carried them away, but he also put our sicknesses and our infirmities on Jesus Christ, and he took 39 stripes so that we could be healed. I saw a picture of uh, doctors that really have looked at the crucifixion process I'm going to put a picture up on the screen, but, man, it's hard to stomach it. It's a picture of what Jesus' body would have really looked like after those 39 lashes, that his ribs and his spine would have been completely exposed, that you would have been able to see parts of internal organs from, the, from looking back, see into his internal body. That's how horrifically he was beaten. 
When I saw that picture and I realized Jesus did that, so I don't got to be sick, you know what it did? It made me hate sickness. It made me refuse it. It made me, I don't care who preaches it. I don't care how nice the smile is on your face. I don't care how you sugarcoat it or candy coat it. That if you start preaching any type of gospel that tells me I have to be sick, I recognize it as the voice of the devil himself speaking because I refuse to carry what Jesus paid such a high price for. I refuse to be a sinner because I've been made the righteousness of God, and I don't have to be a sinner. I am righteous because he carried away. He was pierced from my rebellion, and I refuse to be sick. I refuse to have COVID-19. I refuse to have monkey pox, donkey pox, small pox, chicken pox. I don't care. I refuse it. I refuse it. And what do you do when the world doesn't want to comply with what the word says? You force it with your words. You force it with your faith. So never pray. Right? So we just ask, never pray if it be your will concerning anything. That's what Christians do. Lord, if it be your will, raise this person up off their bed of sickness Someone's sitting there dying. You go to the hospital to pay them a visit, and you pray for them, and that's the religious prayers they receive. Lord, if it be your will, raise them up off of this cot, but if it not be your will, Lord, receive them in heaven. Is that what Jesus did to blind Bartimaeus? Lord, if it be your will to heal blind Bartimaeus, heal him right now, Lord. Lord, if it be your will to heal this woman with the issue of blood. Lord, if it be your will to raise Lazarus from the dead. Lord, if it be your will to heal this crippled beggar. Lord, if it be your will to cast out this legion of demons. No, Jesus didn't do that ever because he knew the will of God. He was the will of God. Hallelujah. The Bible says the Son is the express image of God. He is the character, the person of God encapsulated in human form. He is, Jesus is the Lord. He is God. So basically, what does that mean? If you want to know the will of God, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see the will of God in black and white, in red. Hallelujah. If you can't find Jesus saying goofy, dumb stuff like that, then why don't you and me stop saying it? So healing is absolutely, definitely promised in the Bible. Amen? What else is definitely, absolutely promised in the Bible? Well, another one I mentioned, prosperity and provision. 2 Peter 1.3, it says, as his divine power has given us all things. Has, say has. Don't you love that, that when the apostles talked, Paul, Peter, James, John, we're about to read John, They never put it in the future tense. They always put it in the past tense. By his divine power, he has given. That's past tense. Why? Because all the promises have been fulfilled. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who uh, who called us by glory and virtue. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So here's something to simplify it. If it pertains to life, God's already given it to you in Jesus Christ. Does a house pertain to life? Do you need a a house to live? Yeah, you do. 
Do you need a car? Yeah, you do. In 2022, in America, you need a car. You need to go to work. You need that. That's the time that we live in. If it, do you need money to live, to eat, to pay your bills? If it pertains to life, He's already given it to us. Hallelujah. Beloved, 3 John 1, 2, I pray that you may prosper. There's that word that we make Netflix series about, the prosperity American gospel. Well, wow, genius, we didn't make the word up. God used the word, that word prosper, in the Bible hundreds of times. When you mention prosper in church and you're, you're preaching a false gospel, that's the devil. That's the devil that says dumb things like that. Why don't you keep preaching that? All the go, you know, I've heard it said and it's true. Listen to like John MacArthur. Oh, I'm calling out names again. Oh no. Listen to these people that take a hard stance against prosperity and Google their name and put net worth next to it. And you know what you'll see? Hypocrites and liars. Oh, that brother Jesse Duplantis, that Jerry Seville, they preach that prosperity gospel. And then really, Google Jesse Duplantis, Google Jerry Seville, put net worth, and then Google their names next to it. They, out, they far outweigh, according to Google, in net worth. Living in 12, 15,000, 20,000 square foot homes, sell 10 books on America's bestseller authors list. You know what? I got no problem with it, but don't be a hypocrite. If you don't believe in prosperity, then why don't you stop prospering? I pray that you prosper. Well, I guess somebody should have really helped the Apostle John who walked with Jesus in the flesh for three years, you know, get some biblical knowledge. Hold on, John. That's, that's sacrilegious. That's the false gospel to preach that. No, he said, I pray that you prosper in what things? In all things. And be in health just as your soul prospers. You know what that verse means? Did you know your spirit ain't suffering? The Bible says that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Kenneth Copeland teaches you're already in heaven. Did you know that? You're already there. In your spirit, you're already in Christ. Is your spirit suffering? No, your spirit's perfect. Your spirit ain't sick. Your spirit ain't poor. Your spirit ain't lacking nothing. So what Apostle John was saying is, I pray that the rest of your life would line up with your spiritual reality. Hallelujah. Look what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. What did he say? He, he will give you everything that you need. Did God promise to give you everything that you need? Okay, then quit whining, quit belly aching about it, and just get it settled in your spirit. Why don't you just say, God, how about this? I'm going to believe what you said in this book. Philippians 4.19, and Paul said, and may my God supply, or my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Say your needs. Paul said it. Jesus said it. God promised in his word to supply your needs, didn't he? 
Mark 11, 24, you can pray for anything that you want. Say your want. We read in the book of Psalms, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you your desires. God promises to meet your needs. He promises to meet your wants. And he promises to meet your desires. Hallelujah. So, is that pretty undeniable in the word of God? Yes, it is. So then from now on, never say, if it be your will, if it concerns any of those things. If it concerns your prosperity, if it concerns your provision, if it concerns your healing, never pray, if it be your will. You need to just get a hold of it. It is God's will. Hallelujah. You need to ask yourself this question. Does what you want violate the law of God? What do I mean by the law of God? Let's just take in its pure essence form, the Ten Commandments that Moses gave. We'll kind of condense them here. Does it violate the law of God? Does what you want cause you to have an idol above God? I told you that I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I believe this prosperity, but where is the, where is the ceiling? I heard Brother Jesse Duplantis talking about it. He said, he said, I won't tell many people how big my house is because they just can't handle it. They're too religious. They can't handle it. And so I actually found out. I was listening, and he said, you know how big my house is? He said, 40,000 square feet. (laughs) You know, that will make the religious devil start foaming at the mouth. I asked the Lord, Lord, what's too big? How much is too much? And the Lord says, as long as you have it and it doesn't have you, I'm okay with it. Does what you want cause you to have an idol above God? If you don't idolize it, God has no problem. Man, how hypocritical. God live in heaven with streets paved in gold, and we're supposed to be broken. You know what? You're really doing yourself well to be broken poor. God's not a hypocrite. He doesn't have one expectation for himself and then hold another person to another. That's a, that's a double standard. That's an unrighteous scale that Proverbs talks about. Nope. No, Paul said, I pray that God will supply your needs according to what? The world standards? No, according to his riches in glory. According to heaven's standard is how God will supply you on the earth. Amen. Does it cause me to have an idol above God? If you can say no, then ask yourself, does it cause me to dishonor my father and mother by taking away from them? Right? You start praying prayers like, Lord, take mama's house and give it to me. Well, guess what? Your faith ain't working. That violates the law of God. Does it cause someone to die? Well, you said we can pray for anything, so I'm going to go, that brother so-and-so, I don't like him. He looked at me funny, so I'm going to go use my faith, and I'm going to declare him dead, and tomorrow he's going to be dead. Does it cause someone to die? Does it cause someone to commit adultery? Man, I was looking at brother so-and-so's wife. Oh, Lord, I just used my faith that I'm going to have, you know, that's going to be my wife. Does it cause someone to commit adultery? Does it take away from someone else? Oh, Lord, you know, they got that millionaire down there at that church that just funds that helps that church. Lord, I pray that you just tell them to come over here. Does it take away from someone else? Here's the question. Does it violate the law of God? 
If you can answer no to those questions, that it doesn't violate the law of God, then get this, you can have it, and you can have as much of it as you want. Hallelujah. If it doesn't violate the law of God, you can have it, and you can have as much of it as you want. Where do we get that from? Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say you can pray for anything. Pray for whatsoever things ye desire, the, the King James, and believe you've received them, you shall have them. Those two Greek words there, whatsoever, you combine those two Greek words. We Again, go back and listen to the teachings from the last two weeks. Those two words basically mean as much of, however much, however many, of anything, all things, and everything. So Jesus said, not only could you use your faith for something, you can use your faith to have as much of that something as you desire. Hallelujah. You know, you can use your faith to have as much money as you could possibly desire as long as it's not an idol above God. Well, can I get real with you? You may say, well, it'd never be an idol. If you're not a giver, if you're not a tither, that is probably an idol. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm not telling you because I want you to do anything. For this church, I'm just telling you the God honest truth. If that's something that you don't want to do, you think, oh, I can't do that. I can't afford to do it. I'm not willing to do it. I don't want to do it. It holds a place in your heart. Money has you. You don't have money. Amen. Number 10, let's finish this up tonight. Number 10, the last of the 10 conditions of answered prayer. This is a good one. Number 10 you must have a clean heart and life with God and man. I really had to work hard to kind of try to condense this because there's so much teaching that could be done about righteousness. You must have a clean heart and life with God and man. Look at Mark 11, 22 through 25. That's kind of our base scripture. Jesus said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believed you received it, it will be yours. Wow, God, that's a great and mighty, wonderful promise. I can possess all things, anything, everything. But he says, but when you're praying, first, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Say first. So basically what Jesus is saying is before the mountain moves, you have to forgive. Before the mountain moves, you have to forgive. Before your faith works to possess anything and everything, you have to forgive. So that your heavenly Father will also forgive your sins. If you don't forgive, the mountain won't move and your faith won't work. Why? Why? Why won't your faith work if you don't forgive? Well, in order to explain this, I need to take you quickly to James chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person, say a righteous person. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. A righteous man's prayer carries power and gets results. 
A righteous man's prayer moves mountains. A righteous man's prayers, speech, words, call things that be not as though they were. Read it to you in a couple more translations. New King James, confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Amplified, look what it says. The last part, it says, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or believer is able to accomplish much, and it says, when put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Dynamic and carries tremendous power when it's put into action by God. One key similarity between all of these, say a righteous man. This is the reality for a righteous man. So, I want to break some words down. It says the effectual fervent prayer. That word in the Greek, effectual or fervent, it's the word energio. What does that sound like? Energy. Say energy. That word energio, it means to work, to put effort in a specific task or area. Right? You know, the, the definition of energy is basically our work is, is specified energy. That's the definition of work. That if I want to move this Bible, I have to come to the conclusion I want this book to move right in my mind, and I have to exert energy to move my arm, pick up the Bible, and, and put it from here to there, right? So it's specific directed energy to perform a specific task. That's what the word effectual prefer, uh, or fervent, it means specific work. Effort put to a specific task. Availeth much. That word availeth, it means strong. It has power to be a force. So to not confuse you, this is what this definition means. Whenever a righteous man or woman pinpoints and uses their words in authority, power goes out to accomplish whatever they have set their faith to. When a righteous, when a man or woman, think there's two categories, all right, there's no black and white, and I wish that the American church would get a hold of this. There's no gray area. There are two categories. There are the righteousness of God and the unrighteous. There are the righteous, they are the wicked. Amen. When you fall into the category of the righteous, when you fall onto this side, whatever you set your faith to and use your words, and direct your words and use your authority and use your faith, power goes out to accomplish the thing in which you've set it out to accomplish. The same way that God said, light be. You know what happened? Power went out, out of his mouth, out of his being, and it caused light to come to fruition. That's the same way that it works for us when we speak, be whole, be healed, provision come. Power goes out, and it, and it causes that thing to come to pass. But in order for this to work, you have to fall into the category of the righteous. Amen. The righteous prayers, the prayers of a righteous person have great power and produce results. So let's answer these two questions, and I'm going to be done tonight. What takes you out of the category of the righteous? Remember, there's two categories. There's the righteous, there's the unrighteous. What causes you to be taken out of the category of the righteous? 
Write this down, number one, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, if you forgive those that sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Can I tell you something? You cannot have unforgiveness and go to heaven. Can I just be real blunt? If you carry unforgiveness in you, you will go to hell. And that is not a a hellfire and brimstone message. The reality is black and white. Jesus said if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you are not forgiven, you don't have salvation. If you don't have salvation, you'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've got to wage war against unforgiveness. The devil makes you think that you're winning by holding bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness towards somebody in your heart. You're not winning. It's a devil's trap to kill, steal, and destroy you. You've got to get it out, turn it over to the Lord. If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. If you're not forgiven, you're not in the category of the righteous. If you're not in the category of the righteous, your words and prayers accomplish nothing. That's why Jesus said, before the mountain moves, you must first forgive. Because only a righteous man and a righteous woman's prayer carry the power to move the mountain. What's the second thing that will take you out of the category of the righteous? I heard it said sin, but I'm going to say it in a different way. Disobedience, which is sin. What is sin? It's violating, it's disobeying what God has said in his word. It's the same thing, disobedience. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if, say if, you remain in me and my words remain in you. You can ask me for anything you want, and it will be granted. This was not an unconditional promise. This was contingent on remaining in his words. So here's real simple. If you don't remain in his word, if we walk outside of what Jesus said, then it doesn't work. Right? So what did Jesus mean by remain in his word? What did Jesus tell us to do? I'm going to break down the law of the new covenant into two simple terms for you. And I get this from 1 John 3, 22 through 24. It says, and it, it, we will receive from him, look what he said, whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. We will receive from him what? Whatever. Say whatever. We ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know that he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So very simple. Jesus said the new covenant can be broken down into two parts. Number one, believe. Say believe. In order to not be in disobedience, you must live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Can I tell you something? Anything that's not faith is sin. Romans 14, 23, it says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. But he 
does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. For whatever is not from faith is sin. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Do you understand now why as a pastor you may think I'm being harsh and I'm being horrible whenever someone comes to me and, oh, you know, they're all upset. And I say things like, if it's not faith, I don't want to hear it. Because whatever is not faith is sin. And it's not to be played with. It's not to be coddled. We have to wage war against unbelief. You can say to the mountain, but you can't doubt in your heart, he said. So what does Jesus want us to do? Say believe. 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 Believe what he said in his word. Believe in the authority of his name. Say believe. Number two, the new covenant, the law of Christ is this. Walk in love. If you'll do those two things, you can ask for whatever you want. If you'll believe and walk in love, you can ask him for whatever you want, and it will be granted. Hallelujah. The Bible teaches that if you walk in love, you fulfill the law and all of its requirements. It's very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second commandment's just as important as the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Guess what? If you love God, you won't put idols above him. What are the Ten Commandments? If you love God, right, you won't violate yourself. You're made in the image of God. You won't cause your flesh to commit adultery. You won't join yourself with the spirit. Uh, 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 the Bible talks about an adulterous spirit, the spirit of this world, You won't because you love God. So if you love God, you won't sin against him, and you won't sin against you because you're made in the image of God. And if you love other people, you won't sin against them. You're not going to covet somebody that you love. You're not going to look at somebody and say, man, I wish that they didn't have that car and I had it, if you're walking in love. You won't look at someone, I wish that I had that house and I wish they were sleeping in a cardboard box. You won't think like that if you're walking in love. So if you walk in love, you obey all of the laws and requirements that the Bible commands of us. Hallelujah. So let's just kind of... Say it this way, and this is it tonight. Here's the ten conditions of answered prayer. Number one, if you have the faith of God. Number two, if you pray and say in no uncertain terms what you want. Number three, if you'll have unlimited faith. Number four, if you'll refuse to doubt in your heart. Number five, if you'll believe whatever is asked will be given. Number six, if you'll believe whatever is asked is already granted. Number seven, if you'll be authoritative and command to come to pass whatever is asked or desired. Number eight, if you'll believe that what you want is God's will. And number nine, if you'll never say, if it be your will, concerning anything that you ask that is definitely promised by God and his word. And then number ten, number ten, if you'll have a clean heart and life with God and man. You will have the things that you say. You could speak to a mountain to move from here to there and believe what you say, and you'll have what you say. Hallelujah. Any person that meets these ten conditions will receive answers to their prayers every time. Say every time. I want you to say, it's working. Say, it's coming. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
Just lift your hands right now. Father, bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you they've been purified by your word tonight. That you've torn down religious altars and mines. That you slaughtered religious cows. That that religious spirit is drove out tonight in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, every religious devil flees, and their minds are transformed as they receive the word of God. I thank you, Lord, that it's working. The things that they have stood in their faith, they shall possess if they don't give up. Some of you, you said, I've stood and I've stood. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, having done everything to stand, 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 because you are totally convinced that what God says in his word is true. Hallelujah. You will have what you say, declares the Lord. My word is true. You will live your life and see that everything that I've said is true. For the Lord says that if you'll obey, it will be proven in your life that you won't hear about it. You'll see it. You'll feel it. You'll taste it. You'll hold it in your hands, declare the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, somebody give the Lord a shout of praise. Come on, louder. Hallelujah. Woo. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.